It's time now for the complete story, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now here's the BRN father and son team, Dick and Rich Bot, with today's complete story. Well, you know, Rich, the time is passing so fast. It seems like it'll be just another day or two before we'll be talking about Thanksgiving. I mean, where does time go? <laughs> I don't know, but the days are getting a little bit cooler. A little cooler, and each day is getting a little shorter. Did you know that? That's true, too. People are not really conscious. I think it's June 21st that is the longest day of the entire year. And every day after that, it's a little tiny bit shorter, and it keeps getting that way. So that's the way life passes, I guess. And we're not always aware of it, but it sure does. Uh, Anyway, um, the thing that that I want our audience to think about when they listen to Bot Radio Network is uh, is what makes it possible. Here's a lady, for goodness sake, who says that we knock her socks off. <laughs> She's from Missouri. Listen to this. My name is Sandra, and I live in Missouri. My radio comes on at 7 o'clock every morning on 91.5, and it starts my day off on a positive note. Thank you so much, Bot Radio, for your commitment. I enjoy listening to David Jeremiah, to Charles Stanley, to Ravi Zacharias, and all the other precious servants of God. They just knocked my socks off with blessings. Thank you. <laughs> God bless you, and have a wonderful day. Yeah, yeah, she sounds like fun. Huh? I mean, isn't that nice? What a great way to start the day. And, and these Bible teachers knock her socks off with yeah. blessing. I, and that's what we want to do, Rich. Bot Radio Network, since its very beginning... Uh, was a dream in in my mind for sure that the Lord had called us to do something in broadcasting that would keep our listeners' eyes on the cross uh, and to really teach them the Bible and give them substance in their life like this lady was talking about. Now listen to this song. Oh Lord, with my life I want to serve Thee And Lord, guide my steps that I might see The pathway that you would have me follow Every day to lead others And bring glory to thy name thy love for in sin my life was tossed and mercy I'm not worthy of help me never to forget with your blood you suffered loss to redeem and set me free Lord keep my on the cross And Lord when I'm tempted to forsake Thee 
When this road of faith is filled with deep despair Help me know that when you died you were forsaken By the world and on the cross Your love and mercy were unfurled Lord, keep my eyes on the cross To remind me of thy love For in sin my life was tossed And mercy I'm not worthy of Help me never to forget With your blood you suffered loss To redeem and set me free Lord, keep my eyes on the cross Lord, keep my eyes on the cross To remind me of thy love For in sin my life was tossed And mercy I'm not worthy of Help me never to forget With your blood you suffered loss To redeem and set me free Lord, keep my eyes on the cross To redeem and set me free Lord, keep my eyes on the cross. Yeah, you know, Rich, that's something. That's something Christians need to be reminded of. To, to maybe today more than ever. And now, I want to get right into this. Uh, um, when we met Doctor Adrian Rogers. Uh, in Memphis, Tennessee, um, I thought the name of the broadcast was Love Worth Finding. That was an interesting name. None of the other radio programs that we carry uh, had a name similar to that, Love Worth Finding. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought how beautiful the title of that broadcast is. What say you? It is. Uh, a Love Worth Finding. and. Yeah. Uh, he uh, made it very easy to find. I love the way he would say, give an altar call, and uh, R- Dr. Rogers would say, come to Jesus. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. He became a really good friend of ours, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Now, listen, folks, he's going to bring a message right now. Of course, he's home with the Lord, but the, the Word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Here is Dr. Adrian Rogers talking about the importance of God's Word. We need this message today more than ever. Here it is. Find, if you will, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Here is a rudimentary, fundamental verse in the Word of God. Listen to it. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You will never be any greater in your Christian life 
than your conviction concerning the Word of God. I've been a Christian now for more than half a century. What keeps me going is not how I feel, it is what I know. What I know that has come from the Word of God. The Bible is not the book of the month. It is the book of the ages. It is outlived, outloved, outlifted, outreached, outranked, all other books put together. There's no book like the Bible. We read the Bible, and the Bible reads us. Now, there's a war against the Word of God today, and there are those who literally despise it. They hate the Bible. For whatever reasons, they would wish that the Bible were obliterated. But not only those who despise it, there are those who deny it. They don't hate it. They just say, I don't believe it. I don't believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. There are others like the cults who don't despise it or deny it. They distort it. They massacre the Bible with their interpretations. And there are plenty of those around. One of the ways that I know the Bible is the Word of God, it has stood up under so much shoddy preaching. <laughs> it has to be the Word of God. Then there are those who don't distort it, but they dissect it. They come to the Bible like it is a math book rather than a love story, and they bring their minds to it and try and pick it apart piece by piece and pry out the treasures from the Word of God, and that cannot be done. Then I suppose, however, the greatest enemy of the Bible are people who sit in our churches. They don't despise it. They don't deny it. They don't distort it. <laughs> they just disregard it. Now, they give lip service to the Bible, but they don't really study it. I would not ask tonight for a show of hands as to how many people in this room spend more time with the newspaper and television than they spend with the Word of God. <laughs> That'd be embarrassing. Uh, we disregard the Bible to our own hurt. These hath God married, and no man shall part. Dust on the Bible, and drought in the heart. You will not be any bigger, any better, any stronger than your belief in the Word of God. Why is it so important to understand the Bible's Word of God? Your salvation depends upon it. Your salvation is based on the gospel, and the gospel comes out of the Word of God. Apart from gospel truth, no one is saved. If you want somebody to be saved, you've got to give them something to believe. And what are you going to give them? The Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Your growth as a Christian depends upon the Word of God. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. Your sanctification depends upon the Word of God. Jesus said, sanctify them with thy truth. Thy Word is truth. Your assurance depends upon the Word of God. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Friend, I cannot tell you how important it is that you have a solid conviction that the Bible is the Word of God, distinct, different, better, higher, more glorious than any other book that was ever written. Now, I believe the Bible is the Word of God because of the scientific accuracy of the Bible. Now, there are those who will tell you, well, of course the Bible is not scientifically accurate because it was written thousands of years ago. Now, before you say that, make certain that you know two things. Make certain that you know science, and make certain that you know the Word of God. You see, the Bible does not always agree with science. And for that, I am infinitely 
glad that the Bible does not always agree with science. You give the scientists enough time, perhaps they'll catch up with the Bible. <laughs> when a scientist says a good word about the Bible, that doesn't give me more faith than the Bible, just a little more faith than the scientist. Uh, if you look at the Bible from a scientific point of view, it is uh, miraculous what the Bible teaches about science. For example, you and I take it for granted that the earth is suspended in space. This celestial ball floats in space. Well, men didn't always know that. You would not know it unless somebody had taught you. The ancient Egyptians, who were incredibly intelligent and had done great things in mathematics and science, who built the pyramids that were antiquities even in the time of Christ, they believed that the earth was supported on five pillars, five gigantic pillars that held up the earth. We would expect to find perhaps some of that mythology in the Bible, but in Job chapter 26 and verse 7, we read this, He, God, stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. Hangeth the earth upon nothing. That's a great scientific fact, that the earth is there suspended in space. How did Job know that? Perhaps the oldest piece of literature known to man, that God hangeth the earth upon nothing, Job 26, verse 7. Now, you and I take it for granted, not only is the earth floating in space, but we take it for granted that the earth is a sphere, that it's a globe, that is a ball. Men didn't always know this. And uh, I remember learning in grammar school, as you did, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. It was not until that time that men who had conjectured that the earth may be round finally conceded that the earth is round. Of course, we have no difficulty with that today because our spaceships from outer space can look back and take pictures round, floating in space. But 750 years before the Lord Jesus Christ was born, Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 22, it is God that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. And the word for circle that Isaiah used is not a circle like I would draw in plain geometry on a piece of paper. It's a word that means sphere or globe. Now, in the Middle Ages, there came the bubonic plague. It was called the Black Plague in the 14th century. It was so devastating that one out of four people died. They tried to do everything they could do to stop the Black Plague. They, they couldn't figure out uh, what caused it, and everybody was frightened of the Black Plague. Estimated 60 million people died. One of the greatest natural disasters in human history. But it was the Word of God that brought it to a conclusion. Not the scientists, but the Word of God. Finally, somebody turned to the book of Leviticus, chapter 13, verse 46. All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled, he is unclean, he shall dwell alone, without the camp shall his habitation be. That is, if he has the plague, quarantine him. That's what they do today when people have these communicable diseases. Well, now, now this was written way before the day of microbiology, 
Way before the days when anybody had any idea what a germ is. Germs are invisible. They didn't know what germs are. In 1840, there was something that took place in uh, the hospitals in Vienna. One out of every five expectant mothers was dying of infection. They would go in for prenatal examinations and they would get infected. And the doctors were going from one examination room to the next examination room, the next examination room, without washing the hands. And so one expectant mother would be infected and the doctor would forthwith infect all of the others that he examined. There was a doctor, Dr. Simmelweis, who got to watching that. He was the head of the hospital. He said, uh, from now on, you are going to wash your hands before you examine. As a matter of fact, the doctors in that day would go from the morgue and do an autopsy on a cadaver and without washing the hands would come in and do a pelvic examination on the expectant mother. And he said, you will wash your hands when you leave the morgue before you go in to make these examinations. Well, when he did that, uh, after this, only one out of 84 died just by washing the hands when they came out of the morgue. But then one time, 11 out of 12 died in a row, even after they'd washed their hands after they'd come out of the morgue. Simovi said, now you will wash your hands between every examination. Oh, the doctor said, we can't do that. Well, that takes too much time. They almost drove him insane. But he stood his ground. Now, what doctor today would even begin to think about going from patient to patient without scrubbing or without changing to latex gloves? Well, friend, what does the Word of God say about all of this? Well, look, if you will, in, in Numbers chapter 19, verses 14 through 19, this is the law. When a man dieth in a tent, all that come into the tent and all that is in the tent shall be unclean seven days. That is for the bacteria to die. And notice this, and every open vessel which hath no covering bound upon it, it is unclean. And whosoever toucheth one that is slain with a sword in the open fields or a dead body or a bone of a man or a grave shall be unclean seven days. Again, they had no idea about a germ. Don't think you know about germs because you're so smart. You can't see them. You can't taste them. You can't feel them. But God says, don't contaminate people. Well, I wish I had more time to talk about that. I'm just telling you the first reason that I believe the Bible is the Word of God is the one that it's so often uh, criticized for. And that is its scientific accuracy. Now, secondly, I believe the Bible is the Word of God not only because of its scientific accuracy, but because of its historical accuracy. Now, the Bible is not primarily a book of science. A wise man has said, the Bible is not written to tell us how the heavens go. It's written to tell us how to go to heaven. I agree with that. But the God who wrote the Bible is the God of all science. And Jesus said, if I've told you earthly things and you believe not, how should you believe if I tell you heavenly things? We can believe the earthly things of the Bible. But people have lampooned the Bible because of its history. They've said, well, the Bible's not historically correct. 
A great scholar, Dr. S.R. Driver, was a man who studied the ancient languages, a brilliant scholar. He laughed at the idea that Moses even wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. He said it was impossible for Moses, if he lived in that time, to have written the Bible because men did not know how to write during that time. Uh, so uh, writing was an art that was uh, not known in Moses' day. But there was another man who, Dr. Petrie and others, in northern Egypt, came across some tablets. I studied about these in school many years ago, the Tel El Amarna tablets. These were clay tablets that a woman uncovered when she was spading her garden in northern Egypt. And what they were was uh, messages stamped in the clay, letters in writing from people in uh, Palestine to people in Egypt and people in Egypt to people in Palestine and they were business letters and correspondence. Not only did they know how to write, they had a post office, probably about as good as ours, <laughs> sending letters back and forth. Now, this man, Dr. S.R. Driver, was a brilliant man. He was just flat out wrong. They did know how to write in the time of Moses. And as we told you also, how could the papyrus Ebers have been written had they not known how to write? Let me give you another historical illustration. Many of you have read the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel is the story of the handwriting on the wall. Remember Belshazzar had a feast with a thousand of his lords and ladies, and he was drinking from the vessels that had been carried away from the temple of God. And in the midst of this uh, Bacchanalian feast, a gruesome hand begins to write on the wall. Mene, mene, tekel, upharsin. It was Daniel who came in and read the handwriting on the wall and told the king, that says that you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Your kingdom is coming to an end. But the point of the whole matter is this that Belshazzar said to Daniel, Daniel, if you can read the handwriting on the wall, I'll make you the third ruler in the kingdom. Now, the historians laughed at that story. They said, that's impossible. We know it's impossible because we have the historical records of the ancient Babylonians. And we know that the last king of Babylon before it fell was not a man named Belshazzar. It was a man named Nabonitus or Nabonidus, whichever way you prefer to pronounce it. Nabonidus is the way I'll pronounce it. Nabonidus was the last king of Babylon. And we have no record of any Belshazzar. This is obviously a pious fraud. Somebody wrote this story. It never happened. There was no handwriting on the wall. It never happened. And so they, they ridicule the Bible until one day, the spade of the archaeologist uncovered a cylinder. Guess whose name was on it? Belshazzar's name. And guess what they later discovered about Belshazzar? That Belshazzar was the son of Nabonidus, and that he and his father ruled together. Now, the secular historian was quite correct when he said that Nabonidus was the last king of Babylon, but he was quite wrong when he said that Belshazzar was not. 
They were co-regents. Nabonidus, according to more history, was a, um, a big game hunter and a world traveler. And the kingdom was run not by Nabonidus, but by Belshazzar. Now you think with me. Doesn't it make more sense now that Nabonidus said to Daniel, if you can read the handwriting on the wall, I'll make you what? The third ruler in the kingdom. See, they're already two. But now, question. Suppose they had not found the cylinder with Belshazzar's name on it. Would that have made the Bible any less true? Of course not. It would have been true without that so-called archaeological evidence. It would make no difference. What I'm trying to say is that the Bible is historically true. You can uh, bank on the record of the Word of God. But there's some great questions in the Bible. One of those questions in the Bible is, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? I mean, if you turn from God's Word, there's no escape for you. Another great question is, what will you do with Jesus, who's called the Christ? Isn't that a great question? And you will do something with him. You will ignore him or listen to him. You will accept him or reject him. You will crown him or crucify him, but you will do something with Jesus. You say, well, I won't decide about Jesus. You just decided not to decide, which is a decision. Another great question in the Bible, what must I do to be saved? Thank God for the answer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. How do I know? Not because I feel it. The Word of God tells me. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. And I can tell you on the authority of the Word of God that if you will trust Jesus Christ, He will save you instantaneously. He'll be with you continually. And He'll keep you eternally. Amen. See, Rich, what it comes down to is read it and believe it. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Give us the phone number. The listener comment line is 1-800-345-2621. 800-345-2621. And you see, that's why Bot Radio Network is committed and dedicated to the preaching and teaching of God's Word. This is Dick Bott with my son, Rich, with this chapter, The Complete Story is a Public Service, and we'll see you later. Thank you.